My message today is entitled, The Most Valuable Commodity. I don't know how many of you have ever dabbled in or fully studied or invested in the stock market. But does anyone know what the second most traded commodity in the world is? It's coffee. Over 2.25 billion cups of coffee are consumed worldwide every single day. Guess who's not one of them? There's not many of us out there, you know. But what is the most valuable commodity in the world today? Is it gold? Is it oil? How about fuel? Maybe water? The stock market and the media may each have their own answers, but I believe there's a clear-cut winner for the times that we live in today. I believe what makes a commodity valuable is determined by how sought after it is, also by how depleted it is, and how it either retains or increases its value as time goes on. With that said, I believe there is great biblical evidence that the most valuable commodity is wisdom from God. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says this, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. You know if Warren Buffett came on, he said, buy stock and pork butts. Which is a thing, right? People would rush to go buy stock and pork butts. But now God is saying, get wisdom. So why are not more people running to the Bible? Why are not churches being packed and filled up? Why are not more people saying, I'm going to depart from the world? I need to get wisdom because God the Almighty has said, get wisdom. We've noted time and time again that people don't know where to turn, especially these days, for truth. There is confusion at every turn. Which news do you listen to? Which station do you listen to? Which partisan report do you listen to? And yet the answer is right here in our faces. Where do we go? Go to God. Get in His Word. Read the Bible and pray and listen and get Wisdom. What will wisdom do for you? Proverbs 4, verse 8. Speaking of wisdom, exalt wisdom. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor. Speaking of wisdom that does these things, wisdom will bring you honor when you embrace her. It's not riches or fame or even talent that promotes you. Many people think because of their talent they're going to be promoted or because of the way they speak or their charisma that they're, or their connections that they're promoted. Wisdom promotes you. These are life lessons, not just in church, but in life in general. Proverbs 4, verse 9. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory she will deliver to you. The greatest advantage that any of us could have is wisdom. With wisdom we understand the Word of God. Without it, it's just a book. With wisdom we know how to apply His living Word to our lives. Without it, we just listen to maybe a good storytelling and we go on with our lives. But with wisdom we understand God's message to His people. 
Many people heard Jesus talk. Not everyone had changed lives. Many people have been in church service. Many people have opened their Bibles. Not everyone has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ so He could change them and with His redeeming love. With wisdom, we break free from shame and condemnation by following Jesus exactly how He intends us to follow. Wisdom helps us to discern truth and appropriate blessings without taking advantage of grace. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Without wisdom, people and leaders and entire churches get out of balance and lean too heavily on one aspect of the Bible while neglecting other truths. This brings great instability and leads to false teaching. The Pharisees were not bad people. They loved the law. They knew the law, but they got so focused on it, there was no balance. Then they used that out of balance to judge others. Don't think that that can't happen to churches all over because it does. But only wisdom will give us that balance, preaching the whole gospel, the whole Bible. For example, there are churches and church movements that put too much emphasis on sensory feelings of worship and focus all teachings solely on the spiritual experience. So that you go to these things and you have all the lights and the smoke and all the stuff and, 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 and good music and people that love God, but there's so much focus on that that you think you're missing something if you go to a place and you don't feel God's presence. That's not a balanced message. They can be powerful, but there needs to be balance in all things you do. That's what God's wisdom tells us. When others struggle to find this heightened spiritual connection and just don't seem to experience these same feelings, they are sometimes manipulated in to just press in and just give more money. And then falsely praising their leaders for their seemingly obvious supernatural gifts. How do I know? We were part of a church like that before. How many know that there are no bad experiences in life? Because out of the bad experiences, you learn the most. Do you know that? We've been in some challenging times, Nancy and I. We're not squeaky clean. We've had very difficult experiences in churches. We've had good experiences. We've had difficult experiences in life and with family. Maybe your families are perfect, but we've had our challenges. But if we go to God out of wisdom and say, God, what can I learn about this? Not just about them, but about me. What can I learn about my response and how I react and how, I, how we do things? If you are faithful to go to God, God will be faithful to give you the answer if you wait on Him. In churches where there is out of balance and people are manipulated into envying their leaders instead of growing with them together, this is how false prophets rise up and influence masses of people. They overemphasize the spiritual component, which is one component, but it's not the only component. Without a balance of truth in the written Word of God, and then they use the praises of men to manipulate them for advancement and riches and power and false honor. Likewise, there are also leaders in churches that focus too much on doctrine and neglect the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity, not an afterthought. We need to emphasize all parts of Scripture. 
when the Holy Spirit is not given equal weight in the teaching of the Trinity, then prophecy is discounted. And the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are ignored. And what happens is people begin to walk in their own power apart from God, and they don't even realize it. The result is that people and churches become legalistic, holding to the letter of the law and thus killing the spirit behind the law. Both of these extreme positions are destructive because there is no wisdom to bring balance so that we can truly worship and honor and serve God according to His will. Isaiah 33.6. I love this verse. It says, Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. Why are so many people feeling uneasy today? Because they lack wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge is the stability. No matter what you go through, no matter what storms come upon you, no matter what trials you walk through, no matter what challenges you face, wisdom and knowledge will be your stability. If you admit that you're a lifelong learner, if you say that you, I've already arrived, I don't need to learn anymore, I don't need to be involved in any more studies, I've already, I've already heard it before, you're going to be tossed to and fro. But if you say, I'm a lifelong learner, God, what else can you teach me? I'm hungry for more. Where else can I get more? How can I help others? And God will give you more wisdom to give you more stability so that you can give more wisdom to help more people get more stability. That's how the kingdom of God is supposed to run. The wisdom of God and the knowledge of His Word work in tandem together to bring stability and help us to receive and fully appropriate our salvation by faith. God affirmed this necessary balance before Jesus and three of His apostles on one very special occasion. Not many people know exactly what this happened at this occasion, including the three people that attended at the time. But God wanted to affirm something, and it's a message that we need to understand even today. In fact, at one point, Jesus took Peter and James and John up on a high mountain, and Jesus was transfigured right there before him. It says that his garments shine brightly as white as snow. And then two others divinely appeared with them. Anybody know who they were? Elijah and... Moses. So Mark 9, 4, I'm going to pick it up. It says, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So you got his friends down here, and up on the mountain you got Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Now the Bible does not indicate what Moses and Elijah said to Jesus. But it begs the question, why did Jesus bring his three friends if they couldn't hear what these two men were saying? Mark 9, 7. It says, And a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. That was God the Father speaking. Without detailing what Moses and Elijah were saying, God spoke from heaven, instructing Peter, James, and John to hear Jesus, the Son of God. You see, God had at least two main purposes for this event. First, he, had, he wanted to proclaim that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. 
According to biblical law, there had to be at least two witnesses for every word or for every matter to be established. Otherwise, one person could falsely accuse someone else. So if a matter or a word was established, God made a law that there must be two witnesses. Do you ever wonder why there's a trinity? So whenever God says something, there's two witnesses that automatically confirm what he's saying. Moses and Elijah were the two witnesses for this Messiah pronouncement. When God said, this is Jesus, the Son of God, hear him. He made a proclamation that this indeed was the Son of God, the fulfillment of the prophecies. He is my Son. And Moses and Elijah were the two witnesses. So that matter was established. You see, he didn't. there are a lot of other people he could have brought up also. It didn't say who you have to bring up. So my question is, he had Moses and Elijah, but there's a lot of other great important people who lived before us that have gone before us. Why, why didn't he just bring two angels? Why did he not bring Noah or Abraham or King David? It was because Moses and Elijah represented something different that God wanted to share as well. Moses represented the law. And Elijah represented the prophets of God. The two ways that God speaks to his people, through the law, through the word, and also through the prophet where God speaks the word to the prophet that confirms the word, but speaks to a prophet to speak to the people. You see, Jesus would connect the Old Testament and the New Testament together. So before them, God makes his proclamation with two witnesses, and he announces that the Old Testament and New Testament are coming together with the law and the prophets. There is balance. That's what I'm trying to say. This wisdom that God gives us, he gives balance. God confirmed that Jesus' message would be a balance of spirit and of truth. It is this balance that God gives to all who seek the wisdom of God. We are not to seek after a man. Don't come here because of me. You are to come here to seek God. I am a vessel like anyone else is here. We are to seek God. And when you're looking for me, look for a place where there's spirit and truth. Because that's what Jesus is. In fact, in John 4, 23 and 24, it says this. Jesus says this, and He says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is looking for people who are coming and, and, and standing on His Word and, and, and are craving to spend time through the Spirit with God. Not just one or the other. There's balance. That is what God is looking for. Are you willing to seek me, God, saying, in spirit and in truth? God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the wisdom of God. With this balance, we connect with God. We reach His heart. We affirm His will. Many people have just, just been mistaught or just misunderstand, but they not blaming them because I was that way before. When we pray to God, we're seeking His hand. We're seeking what He can do for us. That's just. But God's saying, I want you to reach my heart. Those are the people I'm seeking for who are looking to reach my heart. And when you worship me in spirit and truth, then you reach my heart. Now, God loves us because His love is amazing, but that's really what He desires of us. Are we willing to seek Him in spirit and in truth? When we do that, His Word 
becomes alive in each of us. Not because of our diligence, but because we've gone to the Word and we've let His Spirit open the truth of His Word in our hearts and in our lives. It's Spirit and truth. That's why it's the living Word of God and not just the Bible. Wisdom is the fulcrum in the balance of Word and Spirit. It's the fulcrum in the balance of truth and grace. Wisdom is the stability and, our, and the authenticity of our Christian walk. If we don't have wisdom, we've lost our authenticity. We've lost our power. Become, we either become too spiritual and flaky or we, we become too legalistic and strict. But by the divine guidance of God with wisdom, we walk in that balance by His power. This is why the psalmist at the beginning of this message cried out saying, Get wisdom. Do not for one moment think that it's a random thing. That there's so much confusion in the world today. We see the confusion. We want to blame it on one person or one political party or one news station or one movement. It's not man's design that it happened that way. Nobody knows which radio station or media source to turn to for truth. That's not a coincidence. We were never meant to turn to each other for truth. We were meant to turn to God. He is our source. He is our wisdom. Can you see how God allows these things to happen? Allow has, he's allowed, he doesn't cause things, all these things to happen, but He allows things to happen for a reason. Why would God allow all this confusion to happen? He allows things to happen to create a greater contrast so that the things of God can easily be seen by those who are looking and by those who are searching and praying and seeking. Do you remember when He created the day and He said, let there, He created light and let there be day, then He created the night? It said He separated the light from the darkness. Over time, those lines have blurred. You know what I'm talking about. Stuff that's in the Bible that says it's sin, it's now encouraged and celebrated and said it's no longer a sin. And people say truth evolves. It doesn't. It's in the Bible from the very beginning. But now there's that blurred line and people can't tell right from wrong if they're not looking. And so God allows things to happen so that there's a greater contrast. Because if you're looking, you say, how can you not see it? And we wonder that people were talking about it. How can they not see it? Because they're not looking. But there is great contrast to the things of God and to the things of this world. Look around you today. There's greater contrast between good and evil than there ever has been. There's greater contrast between the flesh and the spirit, between truth and lies between true Christianity and every other false perverted message that passes itself off as the Gospel. And there's a lot out there. Thus, if we are truly seeking God and desiring to worship Him in spirit and truth as He has invited us and commanded us to do, let us go to His Word for His wisdom. It is the only way that we can survive and become more like Him in the world in which we live today. There's great wisdom throughout the Bible. It's not just stories of great events that happen, but there's also great stories and great pieces of parts of wisdom. Many people go to the Old Testament for wisdom by reading the book of Proverbs, right? 
The Bible says that Solomon was given more wisdom than anyone else on earth. He wrote much of the book of Proverbs through the inspiration of God. That's where the message began today in Proverbs. Get wisdom. Yet there's a great practical wisdom or knowledge to apply to our lives in the New Testament as well. I've shared this before, but there's one book that's often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Does anybody know what it is? James, the book of James. In fact, there's a whole chapter devoted about your tongue, the power of the tongue, that all of us could probably could not study enough because we all have to all watch that. There's great wisdom in the pages of James if we're open to these truths. So let me begin with just one nugget in James, and there's a lot there. James 1, 19-20 says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, woman, and child be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are so many things that we do in order to produce success and satisfaction and desired results in our lives. Yet we are warned that our flesh will often default to two areas of trouble which lead us to frustration at times and anger when we don't get what we want. First of all, we're warned to be swift to hear. I'm sure you've all heard before that since we have two ears and one mouth, we should listen twice as much as we talk. But it's not always the case, if we're honest. In addition, being swift to hear doesn't just mean to listen to our own arguments or only what our flesh wants us to hear and process from its own and sometimes wounded perspective. To be swift to hear means to invite God into every situation. Ask for His guidance and then wait. Many times we don't wait. We react. But then wait, and while you're waiting and pressing into God, be eager to hear from Him before we respond, before we assume, before we judge others, and before we act impulsively out of our hurt or out of our misunderstanding. The fact of the matter is that even the best of Christians often lead with their flesh because, like all people, we have been wounded and misunderstood throughout our lives. Thus, if we are only listening to our side of the story or only looking at our perspective without getting God's perspective, not just the other person or the other side, without getting God's perspective to accomplish His will, then we will attempt to produce righteousness on our own, not on God's own. It says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, which means when we are frustrated, we try to push through things and do things in our own logic or our own power or our own strength. But God's saying your wrath will not produce the things that God's trying to produce in each one of us. We need to trust God and ask God and then be swift to hear from God before we react and proceed. We must be swift to hear. We must be willing to listen to others. And not just, maybe this, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I had a, someone I worked with that worked before, a colleague in a different school, who 
he admitted that he talked too much. And so he would say, I'm going to work on listening. And so when you'd talk with them, he would let you talk. And while you talked, he'd be rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say so he didn't hear at all what you said. Has that ever happened to anyone else before? Yes. If you're honest, have you ever done that before? I mean, that's, again, that's just what the flesh does. And so that's why we get commandments. I know it seems like simple things, but be swift to hear, not just to let people talk, but to listen to them and to listen to their heart. We need to be swift to hear. We need to be swift to hear each other's hearts on different matters, not line up a pro and con list and debate topics, but to hear someone's heart. Because many times what you're arguing about is not the issue, it's the heart of the matter, what's going on at a deeper surface level. We may not agree with everyone, but everyone is worthy to be heard if they are expressing needs that they have. Jesus was excellent at listening to others. That's something that's not talked about a whole lot. It's talked about the message he shared, the things he's done, the miracles he's done, the people he's touched, and people would gather to hear him. But do you know how many times Jesus just stopped and listened to people? He was excellent at getting to the heart of the matter because he took the time. Even people that hated him and wanted to kill him, he took the time to listen to their hearts regardless of what they believed in, before he gave his gift of truth and wisdom. Without wisdom, we lack discernment. We lack patience. And an open mind and heart to truly hear one another. Not just the issues, but to hear their heart. God desires that we live our lives in ways that honor him through our integrity. Integrity does not mean you're perfect. It means when you make a mistake, you admit it. That's integrity. All of us make mistakes if we're honest. God expects us to live our lives the way we honor Him is through our integrity and by our preference to others, which means we seek to understand them first, not to try to debate or to win an argument or to confront someone. We seek to understand them. I just talked about it last week. The Bible says, if you have an offense, you go to that person, you and he alone, that you may gain a brother or gain a sister. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's I'm going to go and talk, and even though it's difficult, my hope is that we rebuild this relationship if both sides are interested. My hope is that I gain a brother or that I gain a sister. We need to have an open mind and an open heart to hear one another especially when people have a different perspective than us. In fact, the Bible even declares this. It's not up here, but I love this message, which is hard. But it says, if it is possible, live at peace with all men and women. This will only happen when we are swift to hear. The second part of this verse in James warns us to be slow to speak. In other words, we need to give God time to reveal wisdom to us. If not, we just rely on our own perspective, on our own emotions, on our own experiences, and we respond before God gives, we give God a chance to reveal wisdom that we don't have. Our flesh will always try to speak first, before we have prayed, before we have meditated on God's Word, and before we have even given God time 
to speak to us. Our flesh is always quick to be offended and quick to go on the defensive. It's quick to defend our actions and our words and our intentions when we perceive that we have been wronged or something unfair has happened. It happens to all of us. All of us have experienced unfair things and have been hurt. But if we don't keep our flesh in check and are not slow to speak, then our flesh will respond before we have God's perspective. Listen, this message is for every one of us, including me. We all need to keep our flesh in check and be willing to admit the natural inclination of our flesh is to speak without waiting for God to reveal truth or wisdom to us. In fact, sometimes God may even acknowledge in prayer that you're right in your perspective, but command you to hold your tongue. After all, this very verse says that your wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, if we're quick to go on the defensive and quick to accuse or quick to condemn, then we leave no room for God to do a work on another person and work on us as well in the process. Only the grace of God can produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, we have to be swift to hear, but also slow to speak. What we do in the meantime matters. What do we do in the meantime while I'm waiting on God, while I'm being not quick to speak and, and I'm swift? What am, I, what am I doing while I'm waiting? I'll tell you what we do. We pray. We let God do what He has to do in each situation to reveal truth, to challenge perspectives, to give His guidance, to all who are giving him time and opportunity to intervene. When we are not slow to speak, we usually falter in two different ways. We either step into worry or we step into judgment. Let me share some biblical wisdom on these topics. Matthew 6:34. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he's giving lots of wisdom, practical wisdom. Matthew 6.34, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Listen, when Jesus instructs us several times in this chapter, chapter 6, when he, when he tells us not to worry, he uses the word merameo. In Greek, this word means to divide into parts. What does dividing into parts have to do with worry? Think about it. When you worry... You divide time into parts. And looking at the present tense of your situation, and maybe some of your experience in the past, selected experiences, you judge what's going on right now without knowing what God has planned for the future. Why do you think that Jesus strongly warns us not to judge? It's because only God can see the whole picture. At any one time, God, because He's all-knowing, God can see the past and the present and the future at any one time. We can't. Only God can see the whole picture. He is not bound by time like we are. Therefore, God is the only one who can accurately judge because only God can see the whole picture. 
When we are judging, we are dividing up the time and we don't see what God wants to do and will do in the future. If we are not swift to hear from God and if we are not slow to speak, we will worry about what we don't know or what we don't understand. If we are not swift to hear from God and if we are not slow to speak, we will judge others' intentions and make assumptions about their character and assign blame to them and speak poorly to them or about them or at least think that. We cannot let our flesh get the best of us. We are all vulnerable. All of us desperately need Jesus Christ. We are all imperfect. We all desperately need His wisdom to guide us in our individual Christian walks so that we can function together as the family that He has called us to be. Not just in a church. I'm talking about the family of God around the entire world. And if we are swift to hear, then we will be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we falter. And we all falter. If we are swift to hear, we may get a brand new perspective that we didn't have before we began dividing it into parts and judging a situation where we had incomplete information and inaccurate understanding. If we are slow to speak, God may give us greater self-control so that we stay out of the way of what God is trying to do in us and in all involved. Then God gets all the glory. The truth of the matter is that life is not easy. Amen? It's not easy. Every day we are tested one way or another. But if we are swift to hear from God and slow to speak. We allow God to have His perfect way in us in every situation. When this happens, when we do that and give God the glory in every situation, this produces faith because we know that God is faithful, especially when we don't understand it. It produces faith, wisdom. And some of you might have started thinking, well, isn't love more important or isn't faith more important? Wisdom allows us access to every part of that, every part of God, if we have wisdom. It produces faith. It allows us to move in grace. It shines a light on Jesus as the only hope of this world. Through it all, through all the challenges we face, through it all, we all must learn to daily depend on Him and on His Word and trust in His Word. This is the wisdom that God wants to deposit into each of your accounts and mine. Are you open and willing to receive that wisdom from God? That through it all, we've all had challenges. We've all had mountains we've climbed and valleys we've descended into. But through it all, you've been with us every step of the way. When we've taken the time to listen to you, to ask you for your guidance. Lord God, we know that we are imperfect people, and so we share that with you right now. We let that go to you. Anything that we are carrying that's not of you, Lord God, we let it go. And in exchange, we pick up your grace to be your light in this world. 
God, we ask for your wisdom in every situation. Help us to be good at listening and understanding and seeking to gain a brother, to gain a sister. Help us to share your message even with people that are against who you are. Let us not compromise the truth of your word, but let us lead with grace. We thank you for all those who you've called to be part of your mission right here at this church. We pray for every life-giving church in this area and across this world. God, we know they are our brothers and sisters, our family. Lord God, we lift up missionaries around the world who live in persecuted areas who do not have the right to worship without being persecuted. We lift them up right now. We pray for your divine protection over missionaries who are persecuted for their faith, but because of their love for you, no one can stop them from sharing your light and love across the world. Unite our hearts, Father. Unite us right here. Your body, your church, your house. We thank you to bless us as we give you all the praise and glory and thanks. And we thank that you've been with us through it all. Thank you, Lord God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.